As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Welcome to this festive Phil Hay Show brought to you by The Athletic and The Square Ball. I'm Dan Moylan. From the square ball is Michael Normanson. Hello. And of course, from The Athletic, here's Phil Hay. Hello. You can get signed up to The Athletic now just in time for Christmas. 33% off the full price of a sub. Good last minute Christmas gift as well if you're struggling for somebody. Great analysis, in-depth features, the very best team of football writers around. Ad-free versions of these podcasts as well via The Athletic app. Phil, what's there for Christmas week? We've got a tidy little Christmas quiz for you, a bit of a transfer roundup as well. And rather than the 12 days of Christmas for Boxing Day, I've written about the 32 days of Darko Milinic. Oh, excellent. J- just to lighten the mood. <laughs> <laughs> you can read that if you sign up via theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod, that discount 33% off the full price, theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod. And speaking of quizzes, because it, it's Christmas, I mean, and this could get a bit bleak in terms of the football side of things. We are going to do a little festive quiz for you today. We'll we'll set it up after we've got the the bloodletting out of the way in part one, talking about the Arsenal game and how things are at the minute. We'll have some nice jolly Christmas fun, yeah, quiz. We will do it, yeah. I, I spent about five minutes putting this together last night and I don't want my time to go to waste. I think it's probably even more random than is this Terry Waite's beard or is this, is this Jeff Cape's beard? But you two can be the judge of that. Uh, yeah, and that is a quiz that we did on one of our podcasts, The Extra Ball, as well. Yeah, it was a beard quiz. So what's this one about then? Can we ask? Or are you going to save that for, for when we get there? This is Scottish football. Scottish fit bar. Uh-huh. Right, okay. Look forward to that. Um, let's get the difficult bit out of the way then, first of all. Um, another defeat against Arsenal. We sent a bunch of kids out there and they lost heavily again. Yes, no buck fast for you. I did promise you a bottle had it. Um, ah. Had there been a Christmas miracle? What better way to celebrate Scottish football? Um <laughs> I said to you beforehand that um, if Archie Gray came off the bench and won the game at the age of 15, breaking Peter Lorimer's record as the youngest player ever at Leeds, then that would have been a genuine Christmas movie and there'd have been no argument about the fact that it was, but um, it was never going to happen. We we were kind of chatting in the press box beforehand and saying, could this be one of those days where, despite everything, it just happens and you come away (laughs) thinking... That is one of the most remarkable games I've, I've ever seen. But then as soon as he said that, you're saying to each other... No. Spoiler, because spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. There's just too much There's just too much wrong with this squad and this team today. There are too many players missing, too many absences, not enough coherence in defence in the midfield up front. It was all very much just the bare bones and, and what was left. And the crowd, again, did what they could and, and were right there in, in the first couple of minutes. But the chance for Lacazette, which I think was two minutes in, that, that Melier saved and then another really good save from, um, from Party as well, made you think straight away that they were going to cut the defence to ribbons all day long. And, and that was that was how it went. And I think dead and buried by half time, I know there was the Rafinha penalty and there was that little bust where you thought, are, are Arsenal going to do a full-on Arsenal here? And is Arteta going to end up getting run out of time when he gets back to, to the Emirates because they're going to throw this away? But it just didn't feel like that. It felt like, it felt to me like Arsenal switched off a bit in the second half. And, and rather than doing what City did, which was properly, properly cut leads to bits um, as much as they could, you know, it, it did get flat leads to get back into it. And when that goal went in, you just kind of wondered. But it was never really coming. And all in all, it was a pretty much a guaranteed defeat from the off. We've said many times before, one of our continuing themes on this show is that you know within 10 minutes what sort of a day it's going to be where Leeds United are concerned. And there was, 
think you agree with the atmosphere for that opening 15 minutes, even though they were having chances, there was a sort of a, a devil may care defiance about the whole thing. Like it felt like we've got nothing to lose. We might as well just get behind the team and, and enjoy this and, and raise the roof. But then that goal went in after 15 and everyone kind of went, ah, right. Yeah. It's, it is genuinely going to be like one of those days. And then by the time the second one went in, which was about half an hour in, wasn't it? Or, or thereabouts, you're like, ah, forget it. It was such a weakened <laughs> team. It did have a slight cup tie vibe to it, as in from the Championship League one days. But then, yes, it did have a also have a cup tie vibe of Man City being three up at half time and absolutely steamrolling us and thinking, oh, let's just let's just get out of here now. Let's just, if we can keep this respectable, that will be absolutely fine. Um, and it, in the end, it, I suppose it's sort of, it just about was respectable. There was also that, underlying amount of injustice which people were f- feeling rightly or wrongly because of the fact that every other game on the day had been postponed because of COVID and I don't think it's ever you know with, with very very rare exceptions I don't think it's ever valid for a game to be cancelled because of injuries and they also did say afterwards you know there are no rules um, accounting for that so the fact that we have this number of injuries and yes Yorente had COVID, Leeds didn't kind of say as much officially, but Bielsa was saying he's going to be out for 10 days and everything else. So you kind of do the, the two-piece puzzle and go, yeah, that's that's probably what it is. And Philippa was suspended, but it was generally injuries that, that were the problem and, and games don't get cancelled on that basis. I think the discussion that developed through the week was actually, minus any data from the Premier League, how compromised are your other clubs? Some of them have had training grounds closed, which means your preparation is very difficult now and impossible. So no argument with that at all. But you got to the weekend and you wondered, is any other manager actually as shorthanded as Bielsa here? And is it impossible for other teams to put out a team? Could some of those games have gone ahead? What's the kind of rationale? Because the Premier League are doing this on case-by-case basis and are not really explaining game-to-game the numbers involved. You know, how many players are actually affected, who's missing... There's also an issue that if you know you have more players vaccinated and Leeds have one of the highest rates in the in the Premier League, they're, they're very close to getting to 100% and they will get to 100%. Your isolation rules are completely different. So your is- isolation rules are less strict if people have the vaccine, which means that again, the, the kind of rules for postponing games are not really a level playing field. Some clubs that don't have a high vaccine rate are going to be more susceptible to it. So... There was never really, I don't, never really an argument to say we've got lots of injuries. This game should be called off. Although I think it would have, would have suited absolutely everybody at Leeds, and Bielsa wouldn't have had that either. I think Bielsa would hate the idea of somebody saying, you know, "Let's try and get this game called off." He'd, he'd think that he was being seen to sort of game, game the system. But it did leave you wondering: when it comes to COVID, who is genuinely compromised? Who does it actually suit to have postponements? Who is getting away with not necessarily a massive absentee list? but is able to to dodge a game in the, in the meantime because certain players are missing. So there did seem to be, I felt, a little bit of injustice in the crowd, you know, that that kind of sense in the crowd. Um, and they, they certainly did their best, but as I say, I just thought from the moment you saw the team, but also from the moment you saw Lacazette go through the middle of the, the defence, there was just no miracle coming. Did you expect it to be called off? Because I felt like with it being so late in the day in particular, I felt like more or less everyone spent the whole day checking the phones just to make sure that it was still going to be on because the Villa game had been called so late as well. No, at no point was it ever suggested that that would happen. The part of the reason I didn't think it would be was because the high vaccination rate at Leeds would mean that it was unlikely that many of the players would have to isolate and they've gone back to very strict rules at Thorpe Park. So players are tested in the car park, they're doing daily um, lateral flow tests, I think they're doing PCRs twice a week. So they're monitoring it really closely and it means that you, you have a very clear idea of you know, anybody who picks it up, you tend to catch it very quickly, which stops it from from spreading. So from the Leeds end, I didn't think there would be a COVID outbreak that would be big enough in that short period of time. And from the Arsenal end, it seemed to me that barring some massive crisis for them, they would want to play that game in any circumstances. I mean, that is, even taking the City game out of the equation, that Arsenal game has to be the biggest gimme at Ellen Road I've ever seen, give or take. There is a tendency for you to think as a Leeds fan, given how injury-ravaged we are. It's a shame that we're so honourable and Bielsa wants to play and not be seen to be gaming the system because I would have been all for chucking them all together. Like, you know, kids after that chicken pox parties when one of them gets it and they just throw them all in a room together, get it all over and done with ASAP. Do that with them. That, <laughs> get that, it all called off. That is among other reasons why you're not head of, <laughs> head of medicine and performance at Leeds. Everybody in a room and let's try and try and get this to spread. It should be said that Chelsea the following day had COVID issues and Chelsea's game was not postponed and they were pretty unhappy about that. So 
it hasn't been a kind of blanket decision of every game is wiped out. I think, as I say, you, you just went into the weekend thinking, Leeds are so short here. It's kind of hard to imagine that any other coach anywhere else has more of a problem selection-wise than, than Bielsa. And I know the issues were different, but it does come down to the same thing. Can you contest the game and can you contest it in a competitive manner, which Leeds couldn't really on Saturday. But then, of course, you have the added issues of it. it's a small squad and everything else. And that argument that we, we go around with, the, I think the one thing you can say in defence of Bielsa on Saturday is that even with a bigger squad, they would have seriously felt the pinch. There were so many players missing. I did laugh at the um, the Chelsea objections. Did you see the the quotes from from Tuchel suggesting they might have to, have to delve into maybe some of their squad players and under 23s players? Oh, how hard done by how many professionals have Chelsea got on their books? Did you see who was going to play midweek? Lewis Baker. Lewis Baker. I Simon Johnson, our Chelsea writer, tweeted saying Lewis Baker potentially in line to play in in the EFL Cup, and I was like. There he is. Well, there surely he is. he's well developed now after his, his many loan spells. He must be well, he, 26, he, 27, something like that. Someone's just um, messaged me now ask, actually asking, you know, a, a little bit. They're obviously doing a piece on, on Baker. So asking about the season when he was on loan at Leeds and saying that an appearance in the AFL Cup, which didn't happen because he had COVID, but would have been his second for Chelsea seven years on from his first. I mean, it has become the most baffling career. I don't know what it's what it's all about, but you're right. Chelsea kind of digging into their reserves, similar to City. You know, you were you were talking to me last week about the names of the players that you just don't recognise who've come to City for big money and have gone on loan elsewhere, and and you realise that the expense of the resources behind the the initial first team are absolutely huge. So it's not the same situation. Although, as I say, you should always caveat this with the fact that Bielsa doesn't ask for big resources, so when or want big resources, so when you do start to get hit, you are going to feel it. What was the name of the ten million pound right back we discovered that Man City had bought from like Girona or something? Was it? Can you remember? I can't remember now. It says it all, doesn't it? We can't even remember the name of a ten million pound right. If Leeds spent ten million pounds on any footballer now, I'd know the name of that person. Whereas... And if he wasn't, if he wasn't immediately making an impact in the first team as well, people would be saying, "What a waste of money!" We just absolutely chucked yeah. ten million quid away on this guy. Whereas Man City may have actually done it, but it, <laughs> it matters very, very little to them. Yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that you guys were doing ballroom dancer or. Manchester City player nobody would even be talking about him we were actually asking for quiz names for that and how the square ballroom didn't occur to us I will never know but, ah, but yes. there we are yeah, um, yeah we, did, we did a quiz didn't we in the post Manchester City well the aftermath I think is the only way to describe it rather than analyse the game we just decided to do some silly quizzes but uh, speaking of which we'll do more, yes. more, more of that today and we will look ahead as well about talking about resources about transfers and the windows coming up as well because this is the last show of the year by the way we're off next week we'll come back between what is it Burnley and West Ham I might yes. have got that right Good. yes in terms of case by case basis you mentioned there with the Premier League I also um, bring the FA into this and this this FA charge that's I mean it sounds to me like Leeds just went yeah fine we'll admit just what do we need to pay to make this go away £20,000 fine for surrounding the referee against Chelsea I mean come on what? why do you Remember, I don't know if they still do this, but we used to joke in the YEP office about this list that appeared at the end of every season, which was basically clubs who were being pulled up for the disciplinary records through the season and were fined X amount by the FA as a result. And you'd usually have, I don't know, 10, 12, 15, 20 clubs tops probably. And the fines would range from 10 grand, 20 grand, sometimes you know up to close to six figures, if not six figures. It's that long since I last looked, I can't really remember. But we used to say, does this just go towards the Christmas party? Like, is this just money? At the end of the season, you say, excellent. Like, well, you know, pulling all this cash. The daft thing about the Chelsea game was, as people very, very quickly pointed out on Twitter, you only had to look at the penalty that was awarded to Leeds for the foul on Dan James by Marcus Alonso to see an identical incident of players around the referee, which begs the question, was it down to things that were said and... I'll refer to this later, actually, when we get into the Scottish football quiz, because um, there's a, a quite interesting reference to that. Were players swearing at the referee? What what happened that meant that that incident was worse than, than the incident with the Chelsea players surrounding the referee? And the trouble with these processes is that they're all really opaque, so you don't get a huge amount of detail. And you're right, Leeds probably did just look at it and say, there's no point arguing this, because it's £20,000, which in the grand scheme for a Premier League club is not a huge amount of money. And ultimately, they will probably be found to have broken the rules. Because even if they argue the toss and say that they haven't, the FA will most likely say, well, you did surround the referee. And the referee said... It's in his report. Yeah, and, and he said you said this. Therefore, 
in the story. That's it. And you've seen this in previous cases as well. Examples of cases where you don't get much of an explanation for things that you'd kind of like to like to know about. So the honest answer to that is I can't explain why it was that Chelsea were not charged with this and Leeds were charged with this. My guess would be that some of what was said probably led to it. But in terms of actually just confronting the referee, it, both teams were at it. Okay, then the question that flows from that is they have video evidence. You can hear him saying it, Jurgen Klopp speaking to Paul Tierney the other night saying, I don't have a problem with referees, I have a problem with you. So how does that stack up in the grand scheme of things, do you think? Because there's no charge, it's been confirmed, there's no charge for Jurgen Klopp for saying that. Again, all I read was, the FA don't think there are grounds for a charge on right. this. So I can't give you any insight into that at all. I, Come I on, Phil, get off, the, get off the fence, yeah. you've got splinters well, in no, your no, ass there. No, I, I, think <laughs> I think as a manager, you, you are pretty much asking for it with that. But you're, you're asking me, why hasn't he been charged? And I'm saying to you, I have no idea. I know you haven't. I'm just, I'm absolutely just, no idea. just playing devil's the, advocate because it winds me up. The, no, I, I know that it does. And I think the reason that it does wind people up is because you get these blanket decisions where you say, where, it, where, it, where they will say, this is the charge, this is the fine. And you're left thinking, yeah, but the nuance of this is surely much more complicated. And, you know, there are, there are things that don't add up. Like, for example, why are Chelsea not charged with with the same offence. But the bottom line is that they want um, Leeds have paid £20,000. And I guess worse things happen at sea. It'll never happen again. That's the good thing with a £20,000 fine. That's, that, ab- that's can, absolutely right. You can guarantee yeah. that'll be the end of it. That'll learn you. You could fine a club a billion pounds and you would still get the following weekend players <laughs> going at the referee. It's, it would just never, never change. So in terms of where Leeds are at the minute heading into Christmas, where are Leeds? Is this just a, a period that we need to get through and get out the other side? Very much so, but they do need to get out the other side of this period. Liverpool on Boxing Day looks like a proper video nasty, I think. One of our data guys, Mark Carey, did a piece earlier this week, which I thought was very good, actually. It was looking at you know the, the problems Leeds are having tactically, and I think it's important in this spell to acknowledge the injuries, but not to allow the injuries to negate everything else or to, to kind of cover everything else that, that's going on. Some of the things he would, would highlight, for example, was the, the number of times Leeds have lost possession in their own final third, and 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 that is converted directly. And that is the into, defensive third, you yes, mean? In, yeah. in Leeds' defensive third, and and that is converted directly into shots. And I mean, you were seeing that on on Saturday. Okay, the the second goal was not in the defensive third, but it was that situation of Dallas lays the ball behind Click, Arsenal take the ball, Arsenal transitional play, Arsenal counter, and suddenly the pitch is just an absolute mess. There's no midfield. He's got a huge gap to play in Martinelli and Martinelli times has run nicely. Martinelli scores. And it does feel at the moment, certainly in the, the last couple of games, the man marking has been a massive problem against City and Arsenal. And perhaps it was always going to be because, you know, City in particular are a really good good side. I don't think Arsenal are a particularly good team, but I think they have got some some very good players and, and who would, would take advantage of that. But it almost felt to me as if both Guardiola and Arteta would have been secretly desperately hoping that Bielsa was going to play a man-marking system because it's not working particularly well. It seems to me that it isn't going to work as well when you don't have your best players, which Leeds certainly don't. They're now down into the, the fringes of the squad who are not as... It's not that they're not as drilled in this in training, but they don't play as much, you know, so they don't have the, the game experience behind them. And Leeds do look do look very vulnerable between the man-marking and, and, as I say, these kind of chronic losses of possession in areas where the opposition just click their fingers... I mean, you saw it at Manchester City before a goal was scored, the Urente pass for the outside of his foot. You know, that was that was exactly it, really. That yeah. was just asking for it. And Bernardo Silva should have scored. They had a tap-in. That should have been 1-0. But those are really, really costing them at the minute. And you see, the, th- the thought in my head is that there is no point in saying, you know, should Bielsa change this because he won't. You know, it's it, it's what he does. And, and we've gone over this old ground loads of times. But part of you is thinking isn't it just going to be exactly the same at Anfield? What is going to make... Well, let's not spoil the Liverpool preview, No, No, no let's... Um, yeah, <laughs> not spoil the surprise of our predictions for that. But if you're playing like this against teams like that and it's not working, you are asking for heavy, heavy defeats. And that's how it's felt in the last two games. It felt like both yeah. City and Arsenal could have run to really bad scorelines and the Arsenal one wasn't pretty as it was. Well, Moscow and I were discussing on the uh, Over on the Square Ball podcast one little change that we did notice from the Arsenal game, which was, uh, and Moscow said it was Robin Cock who was getting uh, Melier to do it, which was to aim his kicks rather than for the full-back, where we've tended to concede possession, but to go for the wingers, instead looking for uh, Harrison and Rafinha 
with his kicks out, which I guess lowers the jeopardy level. So there have been tweaks. It's not that he's completely rigid and sticking to the system come hell or high water, is it? No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, the, you always get a little bit of a tickle to what's going on. And and we were we were chatting about that after the game. I was speaking to somebody else about that and saying it it seemed quite obvious for Millie that he was going slightly longer and, and that does cut down the risk of concessions in areas which are which are likely to to hurt you, although it made absolutely no difference on on Saturday. And I still felt that it came round to the same issue, which was when you drag leads out of position or if you beat them man for man, they tend to be in trouble. And that's, you know, that's kind of always been the case because of the way that they're set up. But previously they were very good at scrambling. They were very good at covering. Now it feels as if when they, they lose those individual battles, they are in big trouble. And you saw that time and again against City. You saw it time and again against Arsenal. And I mean, None of us really expected too much of this run of four games. I think the frustration was that we all picked out Arsenal as the game to target, really, you know, <laughs> for points. Um, not really anticipating how threadbare the squad would be by the time we actually got to it. But I have no expectation of anything at, at Anfield at all. I think that, that will be a write-off. Who's come out with this run of games with a bit of credit then? Yeah, it's Christmas. Let's be positive. Come on, come on. Um, I am still very much liking the effort levels from Forshaw the amount of ground he's able to, to cover. I don't think in any way that the system worked for him or for anybody else against City or against Arsenal. But again, it's pleasing to see that his body is holding up to this. And when you speak to people at the club, they'll tell you it's actually a long, long time since he's had any issue with the specific groin hip problem that was the, you know, the, the, the crux of it all. So if there were going to be any issues for him, it would be new injuries or newly developed muscle strains, whatever else. Physically, he looks great. And I think that's a, a big bonus because they are going to need him for the second half of the season. Other than that, uh, I mean, Gilhart's goal at, at Chelsea was an, an absolute beauty. Won the penalty against Arsenal. I think the most positive thing you can say about Gilhart is that even though these games have not gone well, he's done well enough to make you think, I'd, I'd like to see more minutes from him, definitely. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Well, that's the trip to the dentist out of the way. We'll be going back for another filling doing when we preview Liverpool <laughs> in a minute or two. Phil, then let's get into the, the Scottish football. Quick, fit, how do you pronounce it? Football. Right. Fitball. It's hard for me as a, as a non-native Scott. Yeah, I know. I know. I haven't taught you well enough. If I had brought in Buckfast, you'd be speaking it fluently. It, <laughs> it would be fine. It would be fine. So basically, 10 questions on Scottish football. It's not multiple choice. It's not yes or no. You will have to actually provide an answer. Um, are, we, was, are we working together or against each other? No, against each other, right. definitely. I, I feel that one or two might be enough to win this. <laughs> I, I said to Dan outside, I think three would be an elite score <laughs> for this, unless you've been studying studying overnight. The first ever quiz that's a nil-nil. Yeah, it could, could well be. <laughs> Penalty shootout. You, might, you might, might get lucky. Might get lucky. Right, okay, then, go on and go. Fire them off then, Phil. Number one. Question number one. Which club play their games at Bayview? I'm going to give you a clue here. There is a member of the Leeds United Press Corps who was once the head of comms at this club. I say, I say, how are you you spelling Bay? Uh, B A E B A Y. (laughs) (laughs) I say, head of comms as if there was a comms department at Bayview. He used to do the comms. Right. So I'm trying to think of now coastal clubs. Mm, I mean, most of Scotland is a coast. But uh, okay, what have you gone for? Not telling you. (laughs) I'm not going for the same one. He always does this to Dan, doesn't he? I'm going to move my laptop (laughs) around as a shield. Okay, because that's definitely correct. Right. Number two. Number two. The Tony Macaroni Arena in <laughs> in the historic town of Livingston is known by which nickname? The Tony Macaroni Arena. I believe that's a takeaway. These are serious naming rights. Tony Macaroni Arena. So it is, it is genuinely named after a, a takeaway, is it? I think so, yes. Or a restaurant or something. 
It's like yeah. in um, the Big Fella Stadium in, in <laughs> Featherstone, named after the nightclub in Ponty. <laughs> Any nice evenings in there? Um, one or two. Some unpleasant yeah. ones? <laughs> Yeah, it's not. Um, it's an interesting place. Yeah. If you like, if you like paddling in toilets, it's <laughs> ideal. <laughs> Number three. Number three. Um, Scottish football legend and Grade A nutter Davy Bowman was once sent off five times in the same game. <laughs> he, he was playing for Forfa. If that helps, right? How long was his suspension in games? Sent off five times in a game. Yes. Um, as I was referring to earlier, I think he was shown a red card for what I would assume was a rather. <laughs> Exuberant tackle, and Exuberant. then was shown um, a red card every time he swore at the ref. All oh, right, off. I'm gonna okay, yeah, uh, okay, yep. Are we gonna go for maybe a point for whoever's closest there? Yeah, go on, go because on, yeah. we, otherwise, we're gonna get none. Yeah, right. Question four Name the Italian legend signed by Dundee in 2003. I think this is quite easy. This one, Davy Bowman, less so. Italian legend, mm. Dundee, okay, got an answer, but I don't know if it's right. What is it? <laughs> Gianfranco Zola. Okay. Put it down. Write that down. <laughs> Italia. Mm. Yeah, this is going to be a low-scoring quiz, is this? He played about five times. You, when you find out who it is, you'll be amazed to discover that it was a project at Dundee that never really got off the ground, despite high hopes. Okay. We good? Yeah, number five. Number five. Which club are nicknamed the Blue Brazil? I feel like I should know that. Yeah, you see, they get a bit of coverage because of this nickname. The Blue Brazil. Right, go on then, number six. Okay. I haven't got an answer, but I'll work on them as we go. Number six. Five times European champions Stenhouse Muir <laughs> signed Mick and Ross Dunlop for the 2017-18 season. Where were the official contract signing photos taken? Can you give us a clue? Um, You might have been there this week, or indeed any week of your life, Post-its Incorporation. Can't think of anything. I can't imagine people at home will be getting into this. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like um, the answers are going to be more fun than the, the actual questions. Go on yeah, the next probably, one. Yeah, probably, probably. Um, in 2017, Berwick Rangers were unable to provide Twitter updates for their 1-0 win over Cowden Beath. Why? Right, yeah, number Excellent. eight. Number eight. Uh, which absolutely banjoed musician helped <laughs> to complete the Scottish Cup draw in 2016-17? Ah. Oh, he's got this one you know this, do you? Yes, I've seen this recently. Banjoed meaning pished. Yeah, yeah. I think I know, I know who that is. Lovely. Yeah. Uh, number nine. What makes Perth's finest St Johnston? Unique in professional British football. St. Johnston. Mm. Now, I must I must confess, I couldn't be bothered to check that this was still correct. <laughs> but <laughs> So no pedants, please. I don't even know where it is geographically. Where is St. Johnston? It's in Perth. Yeah. You know where Perth is? No. no. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> sort of. Oh, Scotland, uh, isn't it? Not, north, yeah, it's in Scotland. It's kinda, yeah, it's in Scotland. Kind of directly north of Edinburgh, over the Firth of Forth. Oh, that side? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I've got a guess. Good lad. What are you going for? <laughs> it's not even true. I can think of I can think of examples, but that kind of would say this isn't true. But never mind. Go on then, number ten. When Hearts destroyed Hibs in the Scottish Cup <laughs> final in <laughs> 2012, took you a long never, time. Never guess. How many miles did did the Hibs following spend crying on the journey home from Hampden Park to Easter Road to the nearest one, please? How many miles is that journey? Not far enough. <laughs> Let's go for. What was, the, what was number two again? Number two, the Tony Macaroni Arena. What's the nickname? I've got a guess at that. that I think is quite good. Just but... to say to anybody listening, if anybody g- genuinely gets a bona fide 10 from this, I will buy and sign them a bottle of Buckfast. <laughs> that's a, sign, that, sign it to devalue that's it. That's a genuine <laughs> offer. Yes. <laughs> from three quid down to two. There'll be some playing words with the macaroni thing and I can't think it's going to annoy well, that, me when that's I find That's what I've gone for. I've got, yeah. <sighs> Anyway, we'll do the answers at the end, all right? Sweet, yeah, marvellous. Well, that ate up a bit of time uh, for the preview section. Because there's no show next week, we've got Liverpool, Villa and Burnley on the horizon. Are we happy to write off Liverpool now and get straight <laughs> on? <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's turn to Michael for this one. You know what? I think we've got a good... No, we haven't. Um, we're going to get probably another... I'd probably accept another 4-1 at this stage. We said, didn't we, we looked at the odds and um, the odds that we found basically found that Leeds had a 5% chance of winning in this and Liverpool were, what were they, 85% or thereabouts? Yeah. Uh, when we looked at that on our podcast this week, that's what it feels like mentally to me. You know, I always feel like Leeds, there's a glimmer of hope with Leeds. That's about where my head is at with this one though. Yes. For all manner of reasons, thinking back to the first game between them at Ellen Road, that was kind of 3 0 ticking on really wasn't it You'd, it was like it was, they were playing a different sport at times yeah which, uh, which is what I thought about City last week as well and you do feel like those two 
even with Chelsea kind of in, in the hunt, it does feel like those two are a, a little bit further forward again and a mile clear of, of the rest of the league. I mean, they are in terms of points, you know, nobody other than those three is nobody really close to them. But Liverpool just do a lot of the things that can and will hurt Leeds. Um, the movement is going to do that. The traps they set to win turnovers in, in dangerous positions is exactly what has been hurting Leeds in, and in the loads, last couple of weeks. And loads of good players in uh, one-on-one situations, which is what undoes our man-to-man. And loads of good players in not one-to-one situations. Really, but a, but apart, of, from, apart from that... <laughs> lots of good players. I think the only saving grace is to say that I, I'm struggling to think of a team other than City at the moment who would like the look of Boxing Day at Anfield, really. It's just a, a pretty murderous fixture. And there'd be a lot of sides in the division who would, would take a, a heavy defeat there. I don't think you want to write it off. And I mean, Bielsa's not that way inclined anyway. But this period has really focused the attention on the fact that this, the games that are going to keep you up are not these ones. However, there are games that will keep you up which are coming very, very quickly. Now, this is this has been this run of four that we all expected not a, long, a lot from, but it is almost done. And once it is done that's when the results need to start coming. I'm almost of a mind to think, well, at least we're getting the pain out of the way in one go. And then it's actually down to brass tacks, isn't it? When we get to Villa, Burnley and into the new year. And then we can kind of ignore all these lot until about April time when hopefully we'll be in a stronger position. Uh, I get a feeling that it's, it's going to go late into the season is this one and probably to the wire. But um... Yeah, or, or close. Uh, but the table has become, you know, fairly skewed because of the postponements. It's suddenly gone from you know, kind of even spread of who's played how many games to situation where Burnley have three games in hand over Leeds um, but are six points back and have only won once all season. So you start to do that mental calculation of what are those games actually worth and it's impossible to say. And it seems unlikely to me that over the next week, two weeks, we're not going to get more postponements again um, because COVID isn't just going to disappear straight away. I mean, the, the, the feeling of the Premier League at the moment, most clubs, is that they want to play on. You know, they, they don't particularly want the season to stop. And I think there are a few reasons for that. Part of it is that postponements now throw games into, you know, midweeks further down the line and some clubs have European matches and, and everything else. And everybody's always worried about congested schedules. I think also there's that fear that once you almost start to see yourself, this is becoming difficult to do and it's becoming difficult to play on. It's like the thin end of the wedge, isn't it? And nobody wants to, no club having gone through months and months without supported income, crowds, you know, um, match day revenue. No club wants to basically start the thin end of the wedge, which is towards somebody saying, well, do you know what? Actually, in that case, we probably should be playing behind closed doors. You know, it should be empty stadiums. You've seen it in Wales now. They've reduced um, capacities in Scotland to 500, which in the case of the, the biggest clubs up there might as well be nothing because it hardly seems worth having 500 people through the door. And also the logistics of actually sorting that out, deciding who gets to come in and who doesn't is really, really complicated. So there is there is a lot of resistance from the Premier League to doing that. Whether or not the the actually, because the meeting that took place earlier this week was between your, your club executives, whether they're en masse perfectly in line with the views of the managers, head coaches, players, is probably debatable, I think. I mean, having listened to some of Thomas Tuchel's comments, he seems pretty concerned about this and quite frustrated about you know the, the impact that, that it's having. But I, I suspect that at boardroom level in almost every club, the idea of anything happening that kind of shuts the season down again would be resisted as, as heavily as it could be because it will, again, cost them a huge amount of money. The one thing that gives me big hope with the remainder of the season is, first of all, the mediocrity of the Premier League and looking at these fixtures where if, by some miracle, we can put together six points out of a couple of games or even four at a stretch, it suddenly starts to transform your season, doesn't it? Because with only three wins on the board, we can't deny it. It's looking pretty bleak. And if we repeat that in the second half of the season, it's going to be a lot of trouble for us. So we are all kind of pinning our hopes on on a turnaround in form, aren't we? But to get two more wins on the board over the next few weeks, particularly with like Newcastle coming up as well, it, it starts to... You give yourself a chance, don't you? If you can win at least two of Villa Burnley... Newcastle at home, you give yourself a real opportunity there, particularly as Newcastle and Burnley are beneath us in the table. Well, you could almost say that the games are more important to those clubs because the gap, if they lose those games, starts to open to to a degree that becomes extremely difficult to close. And one of the real kind of frustrations about the last couple of weeks, and you know, particularly what we were saying about the Arsenal game, that that might be the game to win if you were going to win any of those. And actually, as it's turned out, I mean, Chelsea 
I think, unless something really bizarre goes on at Liverpool or unexpected, Chelsea was the one, wasn't it? That was where they played best and that was where the, the point was pretty much in the bag prior to that penalty and actually where I thought they played just about well enough to win. A single win puts you up to 19 points and given that Burnley are on 11 and I know they have games in hand, but I never read too much into games in hand, 19 points would be a really, really good gap, really healthy gap. So that is only one win and, and that's that's the thing, but they are now, you know, after Liverpool, they're going to stumble into matches against Villa. They've got Burnley, you mentioned Newcastle as well. They are games that you cannot, cannot lose. I mean, you've got to take something from them and ideally you've got to start getting wins on the board. I mean, it's it's 18 games in, three wins. If it doesn't go well at, at Anfield, 19 games in, three wins. It is nowhere near enough, but they are still clear of the bottom three and that's the that's kind of the crucial aspect. If we put Liverpool to one side, how is the team going to be looking by the time we get into these winnable games? Who is actually going to be back and fit? It's a good question and, and we asked that of Bielsa after the Arsenal game because we, we sort of said, or whoever asked the question kind of said, there are so many players out that, you know, it's very difficult for people to know what we're looking at here. You know, is this an ingrained injury crisis or is it not quite as serious as that? Because my feeling through the game, and I noticed a couple of other people tweeting about this afterwards as well, was the question of how long is this going to last for? It's fine saying Leeds need to get out the other side, but if this injury list was to stay for any period of time, it's incredibly difficult to do that because you just don't have any depth on the bench. You don't have any, so you know, so many of your key players missing. Bielsa said Phillips and Cooper are both looking at extended absences and I think it would be back end of next month at the earliest, but probably February before we see either of them again. It sounds like with Stroik and Rodrigo, Bielsa keeps talking about these injuries that are basically causing pain and the only way in which, this sounds obvious, but I know what he's getting at, the only way in which you can actually get them back into training is when the pain subsides. And that's just the case of as and when, really. You know, when the players feel fine, they'll, they'll be able to train. A couple of paracetamol, well, will that do it? Yeah, or methadone or something something <laughs> like that. Um, Not recommended, uh, by the way. No, no, I wouldn't have thought that would be an official <laughs> um, official football medical, <laughs> medical treatment. Um, but um, Bamford, I don't think, is... Too far down the line, but he's somewhere down the line. So, you know, I, I don't think we'll see him at, at Anfield. I'll be surprised if we see him at Anfield, although Bielsa, I think, will be speaking on, on Christmas Eve. But, you know, there are games coming up after that. So you'd hope that at some point he's going to he's gonna reappear. Um, Llorente has COVID, you know, again, we'll, we'll be back. Although at, they've, at, ch- they've changed the things, haven't they, from seven t- 10 days to 7, sorry. Yeah, and I think, again, vaccination makes a difference with that and you can take lateral flows towards the end of it. So, you know, it's, it's possible that he'll be back in the picture um, before long I think the bigger picture is that this season they've had so many injuries and it's been such a struggle on that front that anybody clinging to the idea that you know at some point this squad is going to be 100% fit and fully available is probably been a little bit hopeful it's not to say it's going to it's not going to happen it's just that if you look at the evidence of the first half of this season you have to take it into account that there's a good chance that it won't happen which is why I kind of feel with January here now it doesn't feel like much option, but to to do something, you know, to 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 do something, a couple of players, just to make sure that they they do have what they need to get over the line. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Well, let's get into that part of the discussion now then with January on the horizon. We are at the halfway point of the season um, to all intents and purposes. Only Villa yet to play out of all the teams because of the quirk of the fixtures. It's Liverpool twice, isn't it, before uh, before we face Villa. Anywho, what do we need to do then? You mentioned just previously there, Phil, a couple of players. Do you think that's likely? I mean, we've seen another name that's come up this week, like Weston McKenney, who's the guy at, at Juventus. Uh, mind you, we are seeing a lot of players 
from that agency. I'll have to look up the name of it, but they're all from the same sort of agency that we've been linked to in recent times. So do you think there's maybe an agency thing behind that? It's very possible. And I've found over the past couple of years that the transfer news that comes out of places like uh, Spain and, and so on tends to be a bit more solid than, than what comes out of um, out of Italy. We had some weird stuff with Eric Pulgar is the one that, that jumps out as someone who's being reported over in, in Fiorentina, in Florence, as basically being about to get on the plane and, and come and sign for Leeds. And, and Leeds were totally nonplussed by the suggestion because they, they weren't, weren't going to do it. Do you know what was funny? Was coming away from Ellen Road on Saturday, I was thinking to myself, I'm past the point now where I really know what they need to do because actually given the, the shortage of players suddenly, midfield clearly needs addressed. I mean, there's, there's no no doubt about that at all. But there are other areas now where you could say, well, actually, you know, depending on the length of absence and, and you know how long players are actually going to be out for, there's an argument to be made for, for other positions too. I mean, I think I said three or four weeks ago on this potty that I can actually see a good, good reason to sign another centre-forward because Bamford has only started five games this season and we're, we're almost halfway through it. And yes, you have Gelhart, and and I do want to see Gelhart get pushed through, but you do have to question whether that in itself is is enough cover. And you know, clearly at left back when Firpo is injured, it doesn't seem to be a. That's probably the one area in the academy where they don't have somebody obvious to jump in. You know, in the way that they do have Drami um, on the right hand side, um, and they've got wingers like McKinstry and so on, and and they've got Gelhart up front. Left back again is 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 somewhere where they do look light, but. I don't know whether this is really the window to, to address that. And I think what you have to accept is that they cannot try and sign four, five, six players in this window. It, it just wouldn't be feasible. It would probably be overly expensive, to say the least. But I, if, if, it was, if it was down to me and they were, they were going to get one player, I think I would want a creative midfielder. I think the lack of creativity is something that we're definitely seeing in this team and has, has definitely held them back in the first half of the season. And I don't think that's just down to finishers. I think it's as much as anything to do with the, the quality of the chances that are getting created. But I can also see an argument for having, you know, for bringing in two midfielders, one who can play further up the pitch, one who is a bit more able to cover the area that Phillips is in. I think Forshaw can do that. But again, you, you're kind of looking at the depth and feeling like it's it's not there. I, I would say two would feel the most sensible option if they yeah. can do that, if they can stretch to it. One, you would think, well, again, we're kind of going on the most threadbare minimalist option I just, I just don't feel like they can they can afford to do that I was talking about it's the Wasserman agency isn't it or Wasserman however you pronounce it which is I think looking at the names that we've been linked to in recent times Noah Lang last year Ross Barkley is a name that keeps popping up isn't it and Weston McKenney this time in this window Coop Miners Brereton Diaz as well all with that one agency so you wonder how much is but, going on there Bit of mind as well that Leeds do cast the net wide so they yeah. do ask about a lot of players and they do study and scout an awful lot of players so it's not to say that there's nothing in, in any of this but it always comes down to the key point of, dis- of discussion which is that when push comes to shove and it comes to saying to Bielsa which players do you want as we saw with Noah Lang players who Leeds have looked at closely and thought might actually be a really good investment aren't what he wants or don't fit particularly with, with what he's after but I keep coming back to that word pragmatism and it just feels like the time for that at Leeds it doesn't have to be perfect. The options out there don't have to be, in my mind anyway, don't have to be 100% ideal. They have to work for Bielsa and they have to fit and they have to be fit. I mean, there is on this occasion, there is absolutely no point in spending money, I don't think, on anyone who is going to take two or three months to get going on the Bielsa because you really do need players who can, even if they're going to be on the bench to begin with, players who can make an impact when you need them to, to make an impact. I mean, the only way in which I would bend on that is to say that if there were serious long-term targets who they, they desperately wanted and who became available in this window, then perhaps that's the, the way to, to look at it. But we did a, a transfer mailbag this week and someone said in it, you know, I, I almost feel like this is a this is a window where we need some short-termism. And I, I do agree with that. I don't think that needs to mean that your entire strategy or your, your ideas in general become short-termist. But I think they have to concentrate on the table as it stands and they have to be realistic about the fact that they are a long, long way from getting out of trouble. Is there any possibility we look at Cuisance again? Because obviously he's someone that Bielsa has agreed to in the past. I assume he's still available because he's, he's stuck at Munich again now not getting any games. No chance whatsoever, I don't think, with Cuisance. Um, that one was dead as soon as, it, as soon as it fell through. There was a bit of, well, there was disagreement between the Leeds end who clearly thought there was an issue with um, the medical 
couple of Bayern's staff were quoted as saying they didn't think there was any problem with it and Cuisance felt the same. You couldn't in any way say that he has progressed or, you know, kicked on since the point where Leeds were going to spend. He'd be cheaper is basically what I'm thinking. He would absolutely, (laughs) absolutely be cheaper. But I think that one going and sailing, it wasn't like Dan James, really. It didn't feel like that. Politically, it doesn't feel like it's one of those things that would work. No, and I think with Dan James, there was that sense of, we'd have loved to have done that, but we got stiffed at the end by Swansea. I mean, it's a bit more complicated than that. But ultimately, Swansea wouldn't pick up the phone when it needed to be signed off. Whereas with Cuisance, I think they looked at, you know, looked at the medical, didn't feel comfortable with it. And part of me also feels that if you're 100% set on a player, you know, if, if you look at a player and think they are young, they are exactly what we need, you're 100% got to have this player, then you might take a chance on medical issues or you might accept that there might be things you have to deal with first. But the fact that he was in the country, you know, he was ready to sign and then, you know, the, the plug was pulled under it. I don't think there's any way back with that one. Whenever we get the threadbare squad and results start going against us, Victor Orta often ends up in the crosshairs for this and people start suggesting that his transfer policy or his targets are, are not good enough. Is there a question mark over that side of things? I'm thinking in, in terms of, I've said before, they kind of go for these um, shoot for the moon targets like Cuisance, players who are kind of, and Western McKennie, I think to a certain extent falls in a similar bracket. You're talking about maybe £20 million minimum fee on the fringes of current club which is probably you know tear up from from where where we are is there an argument to say they should be maybe looking at players who are playing more often like Brereton Diaz again coming back to a name I'm just plucking that one out of the air not for any other reason he's playing he's scoring he's in form whereas Weston McKenney is not playing and he's not in form you know there's, 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 he, there seems to be these sort of he has different a, he, styles of target he has had some games McKenney. somebody was asking me about Ronaldo Vieira earlier this week Vieira has had absolutely no games since, you know, first, he's had no first team exposure since that loan um, from Sampdoria to Sheffield United fell through. And that straight away strikes you as exactly the sort of wrong deal to go for. Not because I didn't like Vieira, not because I, I don't think he's a good player, but because you would be taking hold of somebody who wasn't deemed fit enough to sign for Sheffield United, although I don't know the exact ins and outs of, of that, but hasn't been playing for his club so is therefore naturally going to be quite a long way behind, you would think, on on match fitness. The shoot for the moon thing, it certainly applies to some of the transfers they've looked at. Squeezons, for example, Rodrigo in Spain. But if, if you're being totally fair, and for example, again, going back to last summer, the Gallagher and O'Brien links are kind of the you know polar opposite of that, really. As I've said plenty of times, so people seem pretty underwhelmed by Gallagher, the idea of Gallagher on loan. All right, Captain Hindsight. And I think, well, well I, can't, I, I can't say that I was kind of sitting there going, oh, fantastic saying it. I can't say that I thought you'd play for Palace like he has. But I thought that'd be all right. You yeah. know, I thought that I thought that would be, that'd be okay. The problem is we finished ninth and, and played brilliantly last season, so it felt underwhelming loaning uh, somebody from Chelsea. I think I think that's probably, that's probably the case. But I suppose that comes back to the, the fact that the players you need and the players who fit best are not necessarily the obvious signings or the, the most expensive ones. It strikes me as being quite difficult to shoot for the moon in, in this window. It's January for one thing. So, you know, the, the value for money becomes, you know, is, is lesser in this window than it is in the summer. And I think given what you need, especially if you're looking for something a little bit more short term to tidy you over, then it kind of becomes more difficult to, to go big in that sense. But I just can't see that in all the market, there would be absolutely nothing that couldn't work for them. Um, even in this, you know, this block of games from January to to May, this critical period where they have to stay up, there must be something out there that can help. But as I say, because of what's happened to the squad with the with the injuries, it kind of makes it quite difficult for you to sit and say clearly this is what they need. I mean, I, I you know, I always focus back in on on the midfield, but there are quite a few areas where they're weak at the moment, and it's not a problem when and if everybody's back. But the question about that is, it you know, is any is everybody going to be back ever? What do you think we need, Michael? Two or three Stuart Dallas types who can just fill every gap on the pitch. Central midfield, I think, is the, the main issue. Because I'm still, I know you're saying Forshaw's not had any problems with his initial injury, but it feels like there's an awful lot riding on the fitness of Adam Forshaw at the moment, which is not a comfortable position to be in, I don't think, given he's he's not played in two years until, what's he had, six or seven games now? Yeah. It's, it's nothing at all. Like, it's not, we're not, I'm not in a position yet where I feel comfortable. If we were 50 games into his comeback, I'd be thinking, all right, he seems to be over this. Yeah, I'm not yet willing to declare him a fit footballer, even though he's looked really good and 
and does appear to be completely fit. The ground is covering everything. has been brilliant. And he's out of contract in six months. <laughs> there is that as well. That is true. So yeah, central midfield. And I'd be, I'd be more than happy for us to get, even though they may have seemed underwhelming at the start of the year, if we were to get like O'Brien and Swift and they were both actually fit enough to get game time within a few weeks of, of coming in, I think that would actually be quite smart business. The weird thing about Forshaw is, I was kind of what this out eventually, he's the last permanent addition they've made to the midfield, certainly in the central central areas they signed Lewis Baker on loan from Chelsea for the season the first season when Bielsa was here but since then they, they haven't done anything to it so it, it you are going back to January 2018 when Forshaw came from Middlesbrough to find a time when when they last addressed that position And but that doesn't mean that they haven't wanted to or haven't tried to you know they had Cuisance close they had Gallagher um, potentially they were they were after O'Brien they can clearly see that there, there is an, an issue there and actually if you go back to Bielsa's quotes before the season started, he did say at the point where it became apparent that they weren't going to sign anybody else after Furpo had been done. And, and okay, the, there was then the surprise of of Dan James who came in, but he did say, and da- Dan James was kind of one in, one out because Costa left, James James arrived. He did say, we are short players. You know, we, we are down on numbers. And I think he was probably talking one, two at most, potentially only one. But that was the midfield, wasn't it? That was the area that, that they'd been... They've been going for, and it's not got any better since then. They still need cover there. Um, it kind of has to be done, I think. Penny for the thoughts of the San Francisco 49ers and LL Cool J and Chad Hurley and all the other ones who are, uh, who are in on this. Pete Lowey as well. What, what do you think everybody's thinking who's uh, who sat there on their 44% investment looking at uh, the Premier League this season? Well, I don't imagine you'd be any more stressed than the man who sat on 56% investment or although he's got his money out already arguably with with Red Rosanna he's got if the fault if we go down the 49ers don't get their money back well the, there's obviously a lot of stake um I, I'm not sure well put it this way Red Rosanna is not going to make as much money from selling the club in the championship as he would in in the Premier League but also you have Otto on the ground who's going to have to get the recruitment right this month you've got Kinnear who's who's going to have to help to, to sort out the budget for it the 49ers I think they will just be sitting hoping that it sorts itself out and it um, and it works out this season and they do stay up. And I think they'll be rational enough to, to know, looking at the table, that Leeds have still got a very good chance of staying up. The saving grace this season is that it hasn't developed into a Sheffield United situation, which I'm, I'm, without looking back at the table, I'm pretty sure they were basically gone by this stage. So there was no point doing anything in January at all. I still feel like Leeds have it in them to play better than they are playing. They definitely have it in them to be a stronger team than they are at present because they are missing so many faces. But there does come a stage in the season where you feel like you've been saying that over and over again. And I feel like there have been a lot of weeks on this podcast where we have all said, you know, bits of the performances have been good. Sometimes the the whole performance, like against Leicester, has been impressive. But the counter-argument is that eight defeats have been too many other times when it hasn't gone well. So to give us a a half-term score... If you want to use, well, you can use whatever marking system you like. Do you want to go for the old school A, B, C, D? Or do you want to go for the uh, modern day one to nine or whatever it is? I'll, um, I'll, I'll go for out of 10. I think I'd, I'd give it a three, really. Three out of 10, four, four out of 10. Would you go much above that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think a, a point per win is, is fair in these circumstances. So yes, three out of 10. Well, let's finish on a high note before Christmas because it has been really difficult recently. But things will get better. This too shall pass, as the um, yes, saying indeed, goes. indeed, it will. So let's end with a smile on your Scottish fit bar quiz. Aye. Uh, so question number one. Then let's get into the uh, to the, an- the answers. Okay, which club play their games at Bayview? And the former head of comms is um, Joseph Urquhart from Her Majesty's Yorkshire Evening Post. Ah, you see, that should have been a giveaway. But I've gone for Inverness Caledonian Thistle because I know it's right next to the water. That's it the is. Only, only, it thing, is. only one I can think of. I want Peterhead. For the same reason. Also very close to the coast. Um, it was East Fife. Ah, East Fife 4445. That's right. Yes. Question number two then. Go on. The Tony Macaroni Arena in the historic town of Livingston right. is better known by which nickname? Did you get anything for this? <sighs> not really. W- Theatre of Cheese. That's all I could think. Yeah. Oh, not bad. Not bad. I was thinking there's, there's, uh, there might be a, maybe some sort of play on words around pasta. So I've gone for the pasta bowl. Oh, good, good try. No, good try. The answer is the spaghetti hand. Oh, ah, <laughs> I thought you'd get that. Yeah. I thought you might. But it seems obvious um, now with the answer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Macaroni's not, it's a different shape of pasta. Anyway, it's just not important. <laughs> <laughs> write, write to your MP about it. Right, <laughs> go on then. Number three, Phil. Number three. Um, Scottish football legend and grade A nutter David Bowman was once sent off five times in the same match. How long was his suspension? 
I went for 18 games. I went 25. 17. And oh. we did say, well, we did say closest to. Mm. We get a yeah, point. Yeah, you there get you a go. point, man. Oh, good. I'm pleased about that. Thank you. That's quite lenient, I, I think, for five. I thought that was quite lenient, I think really. Yeah, you'd... I worked it out on three for the first and then adding one on for the subsequent. Yeah. You thought it might have been exponential, really, mm. and by his fifth, they might have said, we really should make an example of this <laughs> well, guy. But I think like that's that. what I kind of went for. If it, was, if it was three games for the first one and then you sort of add in another three games on per card because it, it is exponential and, yeah. then, and then a bonus three because you've been so naughty yeah I think um, it, it, you remember the story that Hayden Emmons was telling us about David Batty and the balls where Wilson yeah. used to just tell the fuck off and keep the balls in <laughs> I think it was a bit like that with David Bowman they're just going oh it's just Davey like, you know, just, I've never heard of this guy oh, it's, no he's worth, worth looking up the story is not apocryphal it did actually happen I must be honest I think the details are right um, but it was quite hard to dig up any old reports of Fawther matches so we'll go with it anyway Yes. Um, question four. Which Italian legend was signed by Dundee in 2003? I didn't get anything for this. Anything? Bonetti? No. No? Was it Fabrizio Ravanelli? Oh, do you know what? I, I thought of him. I thought there's no way it's Ravanelli and I didn't put it down and I'm annoyed mm. now. I think, they signed, I think they signed Kinesia as well and it was one of those... Yeah, well, I, I wrote Kinesia down but obviously Argentinian. But... Yeah, I'd have given you half a point for that but um, it was one of those... Just, just say it. <laughs> one of those one of those situations where all these people descended on Dundee it was touted as this magical project that was about to start and then about five games later they all left I found out Bonetti did play for Dundee uh, yes so do I get, do no. I get anything no. No? You, get, you get nothing for that okay fine no. which club are nicknamed this is number five nicknamed the Blue Brazil I went for Cowden Beef it is Cowden Beef uh, I, I went for Dundee I had no idea <laughs> I don't even know what colour they're playing. Do well, they play in blue? Dundee, yeah, they do, yes. Dundee yeah, play in yeah. blue. Yeah, I was yeah. thinking St. Johnston, Dundee, or Cowden Beath. But um, it was Cowden Beath, brilliant. Cowden Beath back in the day used to play in Maroon and White, I'm sure. I might be wrong. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, that's the nickname, so on we go. Question six. Stennis Muir signed Mick and Ross Dunlop for the 2017-18 season. Where were the official contract signing photos taken? I went for Burger King, thinking there was some sort of fast food sponsorship, maybe. Oh, I went Aldi. It was McDonald's. Oh, I don't believe <laughs> oh, it. Oh, just way to the post. I don't believe it. That's got to be worth half a just point. Just way to the post. Well, I suppose if Kinesia's worth half a point, then... I think Dan's won this, to be honest. He's got enough, he's got enough on the board already, I, I think. think. so. God, you know, it was, it was a non-league team in England that had the Burger King sponsor, wasn't that, it? And the kits, right. just like it, yeah. No, um, Stennis oh, Weir just so... did picks of... Um, it, uh, people said it was McDonald's, but they were basically sat in this fast food place just signing the contracts at the table, which... Practical. Who, who was it? Let me Google this, sir. Um, Mick and Ross Dunlop. Mick, Ross, Dunlop. Stenhouse Muir. Stick McDonald's in, in Google search as well. There's a, there's a bonus 10 points if either of you have got question seven. Okay, we'll come back to that. I can't see any Google images of it, which is a shame, really, because I would like to see that photo. Uh, move to Stenhouse Muir. Oh, they got them from Albion Rovers. They did, yes. That season. I'm just looking at it. Yeah, yeah, big money move. But there's no signing for so you know they don't normally do a pen over a pretend contract. Don't yeah, they? that's but, right, that's right. There's none of that. I'll find once we um, once we finish recording, I'll find you the picks. All oh, right, um, but they yeah they they genuinely were apparently. Right, so number seven was the Twitter, in, wasn't it? Yeah. So in 2017, Berwick Rangers were unable to provide Twitter updates for their one 0 win over Cowdenbeath. Why not? I think it's in some way mobile phone related. I'm not quite sure what it is. I'm just in a ballpark here. It's either there was no charger or plug at whichever ground they were at, or someone had the phone cut off. Nope. Forgotten the password. No. Uh, the answer is the media team went to Creamfields instead. <laughs> and, do you know what? And I remember that now you mention it. <laughs> just, just fucked off to Creamfields, <laughs> as, as you do. Um, and I knew the feeling on, on Saturday. Um, n- number eight, which absolutely banjo musician helped complete the Scottish Cup draw in 2016-17. Was it Rod Stewart? It was Rod Stewart. Leeds United's very own. Yes. <laughs> Sean Harvey um, had still had the poster. Cause when Sean Harvey's house was for sale, someone sent me the link to it. And in his um, conservatory, he had the poster of Rod Stewart at <laughs> Ellen Road. But you remember, basically, Ken Bates just talked about that for about six months solid. People, would, right. people would come up like, <laughs> On the, on the radio asking him about signings and stuff and he'd just be going well what do you playing he'd be like oh, Ken not now do, do the voice it's Christmas, well, it's Christmas. go on make sure you get your tickets that was right up there with that summer where they installed the anti-rabbit fence at Thorpe Arts <laughs> just kept going on about this and fence the, the new lawnmower do you remember that That's was one, right. one of the big signings we That's had was right. a new lawnmower oh, happy days right number nine question nine this should be easy really what makes St Johnston from Perth, unique in um, professional British football. 
I said they've won all four divisions in their domestic league. Surely oh. other people have. Oh, have Rangers done it recently? Uh, Rangers probably will. It. Oh. Uh, oh no, Rangers did. Yeah, despite. But that was my guess anyway. Yeah, despite Hearts beating them to it. Yes. I have no idea whatsoever. I think I guess like they, they play on an island of <laughs> they some don't sort. Play on an island in Perth. They have a J in their name. Really? Apparently so. Now that was true once. I just could not be bothered last night to make sure that it still was. But I think <laughs> I think it probably is. It's good enough. I can't think it of is. anything. Yeah, it I is. Didn't get that one. And then this uh, was the question about Yeah, heart. question ten. How how many miles did um Hibernians fans spend crying? On the way home from Hamden Park to Easter Road. 62? 120. 120. Uh, the answer is 48.6. Oh, poor Scottish geography, more, is that? Are they that close together? Um, what, Glasgow and Edinburgh? Yeah, yeah I was, I was going to go yeah. I was going to go in the 40s. I know, again, I've been Captain Hindsight here, but I was going to go in the 40s, but I thought, surely it's got to be more than that. No, it's not It's not too far. Well, I've I enjoyed one Michael's, out of 10. I've enjoyed Michael's <laughs> geographical knowledge here. Did the, <laughs> Perth, Perth on an island. Did, uh, <laughs> 120 miles. Was the M8 a river of tears then? On it that, was, uh, yeah. So that's my knowledge. I know the yeah. M8. I know should the M8. have tasted them. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a grand total of one, two, three. A three and a half if you're going to count the... I'm uh, really impressed by that. I'm, I'm allowed, I think I'm on one and a half if he's right. allowing me can yeah. you. So if I'm having Burger King with half a point, three and a half, I'm well proud Dan, of myself. Dan though. wins the book fast. And as I say, if anybody's got 10 out of 10 <laughs> on this at home, genuinely without cheating, then I will. Well, the same bottle of book fast is yours. Well, thank you, Philip. We will uh, reconvene in 2022, won't we, after the uh, after the Burnley victory? You can you can tell why we're taking a break from a week. Go get me head together. <laughs> but no, um, have a Merry Christmas. And well, both of you and to the, to the people listening as well. Um, yes, thank absolutely. You. Yeah, thanks for being with us um, this year. You can subscribe to The Athletic. It would be remiss of me to say that you uh, you can't subscribe before we go. Theathletic.com forward slash leads pod to sign up via our discount. 33% off the full price. And uh, we'll see you next year. Merry Christmas. The Phil Hay Show.